Welcome to the DevReady podcast, where we're helping non-techs build better tech. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Bob Sharon. He is the CEO of Blue IoT. Bob, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, Bob, you've obviously had a vast variety of experience, and we've had a few chats pre the podcast. Tell us a little bit about your background and history. Okay, quite interesting. I come from an IT background. In fact, one of my first jobs was operating an old IBM 360, which had a card reader with 64K RAM on it. And uh, it was ancient history when I got there and uh, we chucked it out because it was a museum piece when I got there. That was my first job and yeah, very much been involved in IT. And then in the mid, early 90s, working with the company that supplied the first commercial firewalls in Australia. So we flew out Gil Schwed from Israel, CEO of Checkpoint, ran seminars around the country in 93. The internet wasn't even public yet. And then in 94, we sold our first commercial firewall to Department of Primary Industry Federal. And then the second one went to Department of Defense. Then got into the early 90s, uh, sorry, uh, early 2000s, 2005, I got in the data center side of things and became a bit of a data center nerd grew to love data centers. And to this day, I judge them globally for the broad group for the Data Collab Global Awards as a volunteer. I do it for love. And uh, What do you love about data centers, just to dive in on that? Well, these are the homes of the, the world's data. And the amount of energy that they produce or use, not produce, but consume is the same as aviation prior to COVID-19, that is. So <laughs> massive carbon footprint. And in fact, it was data centers that got me on the journey towards sustainability in smart buildings and cities, because they, at the time, consumed 2% of the world's energy, uh, now around 3%. So uh, that got me on the journey. And I just find it very interesting the way they put together. So I got into data center design, Mm -hmm. got into troubleshooting, got into energy efficiency in, in data centers. And uh, yeah, just just found it fun, really. Um, Keeping up with the advances in that at the moment. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of things going on in that space. I'm sure you heard about the one day um, Microsoft trolling in Azores in the, um, underwater. Underwater, yeah, I've seen that. that. Thing. I've seen that. I mean, they're interesting. They're like real le- bleeding edge, which would cost a lot of money actually to set up, but yeah. you're definitely worth you know, the experimentation to see. Is it viable there or is it better off sticking in Iceland on the ice, for example, of which there are quite a few as well? So there's a number of ways of of doing it. Google, for example, run basically a lot of data centers. So if one fails over, it doesn't matter because they're all talking to each other and interconnected and and their data centers are run extremely well the way they engineer their facilities. So it's really interesting looking at the way people do things and manage them. So, and uh, yeah, look, then in 2012, I basically came to the crossroads in my corporate history, being the the square peg in a round hole, to quote Steve Jobs. I just did not fit the corporate mold. I would rock the boat. And in big companies, you do not rock the boat. That's called a career-limiting move. I had been retrenched three times. And uh, I said, in the end, that's it. So then I started my own company at the time, Green Global Solutions, in 2012, Thought I knew everything, thought I could handle it, thought I knew, you know, I'd consult a bit. But in the end, I made the decisions. And about five, what was it, four years later, yep, in early 16, uh, that company folded. I made a lot of mistakes. I took a lot of things for granted, didn't consult, thought I knew when I knew nothing. 
So I, one day I'm going to write a book, 100 Ways How Not to Run a Business. Not to run a business. <laughs> on reflection, it's interesting, isn't it? Dig in a little bit on that, Bob. So what are some of the learning experiences you yeah. got through that? Because in the end, sometimes it's an investment in learning and not everything works out the first time, does it? No, no, not at all. Uh, and it was very expensive because we lost everything and then some. So yeah, it, was, it was tough. I went through a dark time. There were moments I wanted to kind of end it all for a while. So it got pretty bad for a while when you're you know, used to having a whole lot of stuff and, uh, and it all disappears. But fortunately, uh, we went through that and took the learnings. And some of these learnings are things like, for the first thing, well, take advice, listen to others. So, for example, now I've got a team of four advisors. We'll shortly be adding two more advisors to our team. They're listed on the website, actually. And that's one. And there are others like, you know, again, involving staff in decision making, having a culture of, of excellence and having fun and treating staff like family. And in fact, to the point where, you know, we'll have them write their own job descriptions and uh, just continuously innovating. There's so many, I could go on for hours, but I, you know, we have a limited time here. <laughs> <laughs> In the end, it's all about business and learning. And sometimes during the moment, obviously you had quite a, quite a few challenges during that, during that, when that was occurring, but mm. upon reflection, you've obviously learned a lot and it has shifted the way you think about even the way you operate business, work with mm. staff by the sound of it, bringing on advisors and team and people around you. Cause the biggest learning that I also had in business is the more support and people you get around you and willing to let go of making decisions and getting team mm. involved, mm. the more culture you breed and the mm. more involvement people have within the business. So that's uh, definitely something I learned along our journey as well. Yeah, yeah. No, look, definitely, definitely. Like even, you know, we're going through a rebranding process at the moment and, you know, the team is all involved. We're doing it together. And what does that do for the business? Because we'll dig in on that. So how does that breed the culture? What does, the, what does it do for the business when everyone's involved in everything? I like that model. Uh, there's some people that, that really get involved, some people that sit on the yeah. outskirts, but just getting uh, everyone's opinion can be good, but also someone has to make a decision in the end too. Sometimes. Correct, yeah. correct, correct. And look, it's easy. In fact, we're going through that process with one particular thing and it's and we had a deci- you know, decision to make, you know, there's three options, pick one, and it kind of evenly split. So, okay, I'm going to make the decision now because it's not clear cut and that's yes. fine. But the beauty is by involving all the staff, they all feel part of the organization uh, and they feel that their opinion matters and it means they're invested in the business the very least psychologically some of them are invested with shares in the business and own part of the business but what's most important is they're psychologically invested because you know we don't really want people who just want to come and work nine to five you know so we're flexible even with hours days you know whatever works works not all that fast but what what's important is the outcome in other words, you know, people that want to contribute because they want to, because they feel part of something and want and feel part of something that's growing and that's going to deliver something positive, not only for our customers, but for the communities and the planet at large, because yeah. everybody wins. We have a, a policy here that everybody wins. There's no losers. That's suppliers, that's staff, that's uh, uh, especially customers, but also the planet. Everybody wins in terms of massive carbon footprint reduction. However, we have one policy that's highly discriminatory, a hiring policy. And that is if you've if you haven't got a sense of humor, you can't work for Blue IoT. That one is not negotiable. Absolutely not negotiable. 
I love that. So keeping it lighthearted as well, a bit of fun at work is important. Absolutely. <laughs> Can't be Absolutely. Too serious. Important. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. working hard and having fun are not mutually exclusive. Yeah, agree with that. So no, yeah, we can, yeah, Anthony is uh, the comedian. He probably disagrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> and and good food and good wine is also fundamental. So, so Bob, you mentioned a little bit of advisors there. So uh, let's obviously you've you've learned a lot of learning experiences. Learn about yeah, opening up, building culture, involving people around you. We can't do everything alone. Collaboration is probably yeah. a, a great model for anyone that's in business out there. Uh, yeah, because you can do more. With, with people and around us and, and having the same people on the same train and trying to get to the same objective because we have objectives mm. and everyone's uh, driving towards that, we can create better outcomes, solve problems quicker, more be more efficient in what we're doing. So within Blue IoT, now, mm. how did you make the jump from mm. 2016 to Blue IoT and, and what triggered that for you? Okay, well, we didn't know where we were going in terms of, you know, we, we thought we might have somebody come and invest some money in us or whatever, because we 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 had nothing. We we're minus nothing, actually, minus a lot of nothing. In other words, debt. So we didn't know how we were going to start. But then a, a former a company that we were going to do business with before called me and said, "Look, can you help us with something?" And we said, uh, "Absolutely, we can." And and that was our seed capital. Would you believe came in at the right time? So. All I can say is the boss upstairs uh, is definitely looking after us here. And we had, our, it was a consulting gig to, you know, troubleshoot some problems. And that was, that was our seed capital, which got us going, uh, which was great. Working from home at the time. And then uh, from there, we were able to start, you know, experimenting with what protocols to use to pick up data. We tried a whole bunch of different things. And then, well, what, two years? No, it was about a year after that or a year and a half after that, we, we then settled on, on one particular protocol, which IoT protocol, that's quite popular globally. And we settled on that and then started moving forward and ended up developing. In fact, the initial idea was to use the, the protocol in this particular case as LoRaWAN, though we are agnostic, long-range wide area network to pick up data and then use a more open a traditional building management system to, to kind of work with. That was the original intention and using our data analytics platform. But in the end, that didn't happen. What happened was something so much better in that we ended up uh, inventing the world's first IoT cloud-based building management platform, leveraging LoRaWAN as the comms protocol which is inherently a non-IP network. So we had a massive degree of cybersecurity and, and low risk of, of hacking into building systems and the built environment. Mm -hmm. And we we're able to manage everything from the cloud without a head end on site. And that was amazing. And then as a result of that, we picked up our first order, I think it was August 18, and that was the city of Greater Dandenong, and commissioned the first one in December 18. That was the very first one in the world. And then we just kept moving. I think we've got six uh, going on to the seventh building over with the city of Greater Dandenong. We've uh, picked up Waverley Council in Sydney, got other councils coming. We've done our first Accor Hotel as That's well. A big brand, yeah, def definitely. And we're now partnering with other, you know, large organisations around the place, and and some of the big facilities management companies are now looking at us. So we're looking at doing some work with them. And we're setting up channel partners across the globe, as well as actively involved in a capital raise as well. So we have raised already so far around $400,000, a number of uh, capital raises. Uh, so we've got a bigger one at the moment. 
going. So yeah, it's been quite a journey. We have a long way to go. There's a team of 10 plus advisors, but we're anticipating that to grow dramatically next year. COVID obviously put a, a holding pattern on things, though, you know, we've been building our pipelines up. So yeah, it's but certainly the move across from you know, from nothing or minus nothing, you know, into this was, you know, pretty an amazing, but tough at many occasions transition. How are we going to make it from this point to the next point? And again, you know, somebody upstairs is looking after us. Oh, I think it's, and the story is quite important because four years ago, you were pretty much rock bottom by the sound of things. And what can change in four years is, is considerable. So yeah, in terms of being able to transition that two-year period would have been challenging between 16 and 18 i imagine and then in debt to a business and then all of a sudden an opportunity opens up for you to move forward and you took it and you ran with it and you you learnt and you implemented new things and new learnings into this business and i was reading the other day you just run a won an award uh, tell us a little bit about some of the achievements has been that you've won over the past uh, year or so in terms of blue iot yeah, definitely. What I can say is the initial award we won first was in June of 2019, last year, and that was the uh, IoT Pioneer Award. That was at the IoT Festival, which is run by Next Media. So they publish IoT Hub, IT News, computer reseller news. They've been around in IT gee, for decades now producing these. And so that was the first major award we won. And again, that was due to this innovation that we did in our Encompass Blue platform. That's what we call it, Encompass Blue and Blue Blue IoT, Blue Blue Economy. And Blue Economy is what does it take to build something, to maintain it, what effect does it have on the people using it, and what effect does it have on the planet? So it's, it's a 360-degree approach. So we won that then. Then in November last year, we took out the FM Industry Innovation Award for Excellence by the FMA, the Facilities Management Association, which is the peak body in our industry who look after the built environment, buildings and assets and infrastructure. So that was amazing. It was at the gala dinner last November before 600 dinner guests. So again, that was an amazing award. And again, that was due to the world first innovation that we did in Encompass Blue and the outcomes. And so what happened then as a result of that, the FMA asked if they could submit our award to FM Global. And so all the FM organizations from all over the world submitted the best of the best projects. And so two weeks ago, we picked up the FM Commendation for Excellence in FM Award from FM Global, which was an amazing recognition. It is and in the company of organizations like Citigroup, which is quite substantial. So, and for a little uh, startup in Melbourne, um, yes. it was <laughs> at rock bottom three, four years ago. And where you've come from to now is, yeah, commendable. So well done on that, Bob. It's, yeah. it's quite amazing. Thank you. At an excellent, excellent level. So, yes. Thank you. Great. Well, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, I mean, I just, you know, I, I'm leading the organization, but, you know, it's the team, you know, yes. as they say, great teams, deliver great outcomes and you know Steve Jobs proved that you know so we're those square pegs in these round holes you know the crazy ones uh, yes. doing doing crazy bleeding edge things that deliver uh, amazing outcomes and in fact uh, for the award that we won we were saving uh, we were saving 
you know, a huge amount, 45% of HVAC energy, air conditioning and heating energy, yep. which is why we won the award. But since we've won those awards, mm-hmm. we're, we're now saving up to 70% of HVAC energy and 46% of total kilowatt hours of electricity and 64% of megajoules gas on, on one particular case study. Wow. So you can imagine the carbon footprint savings. And this is mm. 20-year-old infrastructure. Yeah. So what we can do to help companies go to carbon neutrality is absolutely huge. That's big numbers, Bob. It's not like 5-10%, which is no. what I'd imagine it be. So yeah. So let, let's talk about how you've approached. Obviously, you've come a long way in three years and the reason why we're talking through this is just to share if anyone is out there with concepts ideas in business or not there's in a short amount of time things can happen if you're willing to commit evolve uh the way you think about things and and the way you approach things and bob when you shared your story to me offline it was like geez wow you've come a long way in such a short period of time starting from negative um yeah so there is plenty of opportunity if you're willing to commit to an outcome um and learn from your experiences so sharing this experience clearly uh you can hear in yourself that it's all about team uh it's all about culture it's all about serving the customer getting the outcome but there is clearly some great tech behind this that is actually being able to deliver these outcomes one yes, thing indeed. I before I was going to say, start that is maybe just explain what okay. services you provide to get okay. those results, and then we can dive into yeah. that just so everyone has some context. Okay, okay, yeah, no, great idea. Well, basically, what what we what we've developed is is a, a smart cities uh, platform suite, which we call Encompass Blue, and and the reason I use the term suite, it's a it's a suite of services. Uh, that people can pick and choose a bit like an a la carte menu. Um, and, uh, and it starts with um, cloud-based uh, building management systems. Uh, that's for building automation uh, and facilities and asset automation, energy management systems. And for us, energy management and building automation go hand in hand because if you haven't got all the energy data from all the circuits, then you know, you, you're going to have a hard time managing it because you can't manage uh, what you don't know. And so it's all data driven. So we pick up all, all that data and the two of those combined do deliver amazing outcomes. Then we've got fault detection and diagnostics, which is predictive maintenance. Again, with all that data, which we pick up and, and uh, is looked at in our analytics platform in the cloud, uh, we're able to aggregate all the data to correlate the anomalies, pick up these anomalies. And then uh, it's not only that we have a disruptive technology uh, and by the way, we come in at, uh, at half the price quite often compared to traditional systems, yet deliver a much greater return. But it's also a disruptive uh, method of client engagement. So traditionally, systems were delivered, they were commissioned and handed over. If it breaks, uh, the vendor will come back and fix it. But what we do, we continuously engage with our ongoing subscription maintenance um, and our domain experts are there on hand because what happens is people don't know how to interpret the data. They've got all this data. What do we do with it? But what we do, we take care of that with our domain experts and we pick up the anomalies and advise the client, we've got a problem with this uh, pump or there's a problem with the filter or there's a problem with something. And they say, can you work with our mechanical or electrical contractors? And we say, yes, they go out on site, they find the problems we identify uh, and then it gets fixed. So we get rid of all the energy waste And we also prevent outages. So we dramatically reduce unplanned maintenance uh, and extend the asset life, uh, in fact, up to five years of of old equipment, thus saving millions of dollars. 
So, um, and then we've developed our own uh, controllers. So these controllers will go in the switchboards and, and go into the various systems to run the actuators and run the relays and switch things on and off. Um, and they're radio control. They're all LoRaWAN based, uh, which means it's a non-IP network. So we have the lowest risk of, of, uh, of, of uh, a hack. Um, so uh, we get the tick from IT every time uh, on this mm -hmm. because we are secure. Uh, and then we're able to send updates over the air. We don't have to program it, you know, with a laptop by the side of it. Uh, we don't have to cable it up. Uh, same with our sensors. We've developed new LoRaWAN sensors that are rules-based, which means we can up to double the battery life. And some of them will last 10 years, but on average about five before a battery change. And in fact, we've signed an MOU with a company in Europe to develop a perpetual sensors. So that'll be coming out next year. And so the combination of all of these things, you know, means that uh, we're able to provide a much better system. And in fact, we developed a visualization platform where management and facilities managers can access and control from any device anywhere. So whether you've got an Android, an iPhone, a laptop, whether you're in Timbuktu or Moscow, it doesn't matter. People have full control from any device anywhere, uh, alerts, alarming, um, the whole the whole thing uh, uh, comes as a package and we have various levels of service. Uh, but what's important, again, and you mentioned the word, is outcomes and our team, all of us are focused on outcomes. If a client has a problem, we'll address it. We're not perfect. Um, problems happen uh, with every company, but it's how you deal with the problem. And so for us, if there's a problem, we will fix it. We will apologize. We will deal with it and make sure the client is happy. And we're continuously improving and continuously developing and maturing our product and service across the board. So I hope that kind of, a, there are many other aspects. In fact, we have a COVID-19 set of services, which means you're know, counting people in buildings, which we're doing for a shopping center, uh, doing proximity mapping of people uh, in, uh, in offices, um, air changes. So managing your air conditioning systems for the right number of air changes per hour to mitigate the risk of transfer of, uh, of, of uh, uh, viruses and bacteria, um, and then even antimicrobial sprays on filters and, and, and cooling coils. Again, it's all risk mitigation uh, for COVID-19. So we have a suite of services uh, around that, given you know where, where we're all at with that, even doing you know thermal imaging and camera uh, taking pictures of people coming through yeah, buildings. There's a lot there. There is. Yeah, I was about to say the Sorry, same thing. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, it's I know. The facility maintenance, I can see how yeah, putting all those things together mm -hmm. can have a huge like multiplying effect on your ROI on any investment that you're putting into a building or facility. Well, we're getting under three life, years. Reduce your cost and maintenance mm -hmm. and usage. Well, we're getting under three years ROI, not counting the savings on unplanned maintenance mm -hmm. and staffing. Uh, and resources, um, because it's very un not disruptive installing our system because we're not running cables everywhere. We're not drilling holes through walls. We're not doing any of that. So um, it's it's pretty it's it's pretty um, uh, yeah, pretty some big. Some of these buildings and facilities, it's uh, we're not talking about a couple hundred dollars in electricity no. bill. Like no, <laughs> these are no. <laughs> substantial amounts of money. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, in, in terms of that, um, the technology suite that you've established. Um, how have you gone about building the technology suite? Obviously, there's hardware components, there's software yep. components, there's yep. um, all of the above. Um, yep. there's, there's 
there's the cloud services, there's the software mm. on the hardware. There's a bit going on here. Yeah. Um, and all different interactions, mm. different buildings, mm. uh, different systems. There's quite a bit happening. How have you approached step-by-step step, working with clients to solve one problem at a time? How have you looked at the, the model and how have you beat out, built out your suite of products? I guess initially when we set this up, we had a clean slate. So mm-hmm. we didn't come from you know the old building management system style where you know you've got this box on site you've got this head end and you know you're doing things uh, the old way uh we just started with a clean slate so now well why don't we do this all from the cloud now i guess my data center background uh, has helped in in some ways too because uh, a lot of questions we get is what happens if there's a disconnect from the cloud what what you know how's the building going to keep going and this is a common uh, a common uh, uh, rightfully so a uh, common uh, question uh, that we get or objection um, and, you know, what we do to mitigate all these risks is, is build in big redundancy, like multiple gateways uh, within uh, the building. So if a gateway fails, it doesn't matter. The sensors and controls go to another one. Multiple telco backhauls. So when Telstra failed, we had Vodafone keeping up okay. a building. So, again, we got active, active SIMs in every gateway. So that gives us a very high level of redundancy. But if we did lose connectivity to the cloud... Our systems run their own PID loops anyway. It's a technical term. All it means is they're, they're their own computers, our controllers, and their edge computers in their own right. And they'll keep operating anyway until they receive further instructions from the cloud. So we built it step by step. And when we came across problems, which we have all yeah, quite often, as you do when you build something. Yeah, anything then, new, there's always a challenge, right? So And learning. Correct. And we work with the client. So we find a problem, we'll address it immediately. We'll fix the problem if we can do it a better way or give them what they want, add something on the dashboard that they look to see because we don't charge for doing that. So these extras, I mean, one of the common problems with traditional systems is their proprietary. And in many cases, the client do not own their own data, but we use open APIs. We can interoperate with many other platforms and collaborate, and therefore we're able to connect into booking systems and different different systems and make it much easier to change. So when we do major logic control change, which costs a lot of money with traditional companies, we don't charge. So the idea, and it, because it's much quicker and easier for us to do it in the cloud. Also, what that means is. There's no impediment to continuous improvement, continuous optimization, because we're, we're continuously commissioning is, in fact, what we're doing. And we're using our machine learning. We'll soon be adding artificial intelligence and just, just building these things in. And then as we build what I call four-dimensional digital twins into the picture, and we're doing a whole lot of things like that on, on both Greenfield and, and Brownfield sites, we're able to just continually build. And that's what we're doing. Now, we had one problem, for example, where one of the issues with LoRaWAN is that it's a high latency response. What I mean by that is we might be going, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 seconds response time, which for monitoring is absolutely fine. Mm. But in control, in general controls, it's not bad. It's okay. But for certain things, you need better. So we developed something called, we call it the SL bus SCADA over LoRa. And it means we can control pumps on a split second basis to get immediate control when we need to, so, again, another new development in that space because that was a problem we found and we addressed it literally within, you know, within a couple of weeks. So we're just on the edge developing all these, you know, new things Excellent. that we need to yeah. do mm. and they're, they're, they're working at two sites beautifully mm-hmm. and we're just continually improving, optimising, but giving what the client wants because we customise 
our services, our dashboards, whatever the client wants, we will provide. And we don't like charging extra for anything unless, you know, they're adding some new physical hardware or doing new physical things. Other than that, we, you know, there's a subscription fee uh-huh. and we don't like varying anything. So it's a continuous improvement model, basically, and a lot of R and D going into this. By the sound of it, clearly, oh, huge, with, uh, yeah, huge amounts. So in terms mm. of technology, hardware, yep. new uh, protocols that you're sort of building there, there's a lot happening by the sound of things. So let's mm. start from the start. How have you come from mm. 2018 to like you mentioned? You've got a bit of investment along the journey. Mm. Has it been building off the back of one customer generating revenue? Has it been investment coming in? How have you modeled that? And or have you brought in staff on an equity basis? Like, tell us a bit about the structure of the business so people okay. can think about how they might build an innovative type mm. of company. Well, initially, it was obviously building on the seed capital that we had. Okay. And, you know, obviously, we're very careful how we spend our money. In fact, even up to very recently, all the marketing was done in house. So you're talking to the chief marketing officer, <laughs> myself. Chief. And yeah, plenty of hats. <laughs> and believe me, I'm not very good at it. I, I can tell you, I give myself about a two out of 10, to be honest, in that space. Uh, but now we've got a marketing agency that we're using who are helping us prepare the rebrand. So we're, we're going to have new brochures and standard colors and new logo. So we're, we're finally kind of moving out of that. But with staff, what we've done, there's not been equity from staff per se in that, though we have some who have invested in us. Okay. And, so uh, they're really buying uh, into the big direction of the business that it stands for. So they're really a part of the organisation if they're doing that and committed. So, Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I guess the other thing is we run, you know, an amazing internship program too, because we're looking for the brightest students, but mm. the ones that don't make it at least learn something practical and which is what an internship is supposed to do. Yes. But what we're trying to do is look for, you know, the, the right, you know, students coming through regardless of, of where they come from and looking at the, the aptitude, their attitude and ability to, you know, join our culture and build excellence as part of the team. And so that's fantastic. I enjoy that. And, and they, they make great contributions. So that's part of what we're doing and what we're building on. And I guess the other thing is, you know, we, we don't want people coming. We, the last thing we want is revolving doors. No I, I've been that. in companies with lots of that and I'm not interested. So we try to mitigate the risk. So we, you know, we, we take care, you know, before we take people on and we go through, you know, we've got some really interesting processes that we use to mitigate the the risks that we've got somebody that might not fit in or might not last. Uh, You know, we we want uh, people to come in and be like family. Um, Interesting processes, Bob. Tell us a little bit about interesting process, if you're willing to share. (laughs) Okay. Well, we had one of our guys early on and we thought, okay, he looks pretty good on paper. It looks, attitude is great. Mm -hmm. But how do we really know? Because again, one of the mistakes I made in my former business was, you know, I, I, we hired some of the wrong people and mm. I had a, a number of duds, to be honest, both okay. here and abroad. And so once bitten, 10 times shy, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so this time, you know, try to be a, a little bit smarter in the way we do it. So we, we said this time, look, why don't we do a bit of a test? And, uh-huh. and this is more in the, in the field of, of electronics and communications and a whole bunch of stuff. And so we applied some some testing and connectivity regimes and other things. And over a few weeks, I think it went over three or four weeks, 
this individual passed with flying colours. Mm-hmm. They said, okay, that's it, you're hired. And that's that's been, again, the best decision, one of the best decisions we've ever made. And ongoing with other people, you know, we're doing all sorts of other things. We're, we're testing other people, developers, for example. We yes. need a whole lot of developers. So we, we've got some innovative tests that we're applying mm-hmm. to them to see if they're going to fit in and they've got the aptitude as well as the attitude that fits. So we're doing that currently. Yeah, so know, not just understanding the, how they solve yeah. problems because in the end, it's all about problem solving, especially from a technology yeah. delivery perspective. If you're listening out there and you're not technical, in the end, reality, it's all yeah. using your background, your knowledge, but problem solving skills to, to get to the end result. So you're building tests with probably a few problems in them that need to be solved or the yeah. outcomes that you want to deliver and then testing that, which makes sense. We're here to deliver outcomes from a technical yeah. perspective, that's for sure. That's right. And the other thing is, one of the problems is a lot of organisations go to outsource. Oh, okay, we'll, we'll go to this country or that yes. country, we'll get a company now. But, you know, you, you really, you, you don't, how long is a piece of string? Like, <laughs> you know, their rates, their hourly rates are cheap, but how many more hours that you need there to one hour here with the right person are you going to take? Sometimes now, to it's me, it could be infinite. 10 to 1. Sometimes it's infinite because they never get the outcome, yeah. which is the yeah, other challenge. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Exactly, which is why I'm a bit averse. In the end, we may go out for certain portions when yes. we've got really good project managers in-house and uh-huh. you know we've got good process. We might be able to do certain things you know, with specific boundaries to take out, but that won't happen for a long time. Everything we do right now is all done in-house. I think you touched upon it there. It's all about good process. If you're Mm. going to engage a third party to deliver any Mm. technology, doing that blindly and having no management skills or being having no one around you that can manage a technical project is Mm. very challenging. And especially if it's overseas, a team, uh, it becomes even more challenging. So mm-hmm. picking team, picking people is very important. And some of the things that you've mentioned mm-hmm. here, testing who you're working with, we've had a few podcasts where people talk about where they, um, instead of uh, engaging a team to build a whole product, they just said, all right, build me this piece. How long will it take? And they say, all right, this will take a week. It's something small. And then they hold them to that outcome. And it's a good test. If it takes them four and they never get to the outcome, it's probably time to move on. Yeah. yeah so good little test up front could help you test who you're working with. Yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, so from a perspective of, you've obviously got a very technical team. It's all in-house team. Is it focused Mm. really on R&D? How much of your team is really about technical delivery? Is it 90% of team? Is it 100% of team? What does it look like? Oh, boy, they're doing both. (laughs) They're they're doing both, to be honest, all around us. us. I mean, we've we've got people like, you know, we've got people focused on more on delivery. We've got people focused half and half on both because the delivery and the R&D is happening at the same time. So I I guess it's a mix of both for us because when you're you're at the bleeding edge Mm -hmm. and you're doing the, and you're doing all of these things, what we're doing is, just making sure, and we're on top of it like a rash, as we install these systems, whether it's a hotel or a shopping centre mm-hmm. or a library, whatever it may be, or a hospital, we need to ensure that we're delivering and that, that everything is working perfectly. And when we find problem, we fix it quickly. So, you know, while we're delivering, we're ensuring that the R&D and QA process is in place mm-hmm. to make sure that, you know, what we say, we deliver and then some. So it, it, it's it's actually, you know, right now, because we're limited in staff. Now, if we had 100 people, mm-hmm. it'd probably be a bit more split. 
but right now because we're only 10 yes you know there's there's a lot of you know work being done by uh, several and they and it overlaps okay so you know we're we're doing a lot of things at once you might say and that's why it's important to have the right people Correct. the right attitude because mm-hmm. they can bounce between probably five to six projects at once and do things differently and have to approach a standard task and then a a research task and then figure out how to deliver that for us as a solution that's going to be reliable and then solve a yeah. live problem uh because that's important too so yeah it, it becomes problem solving skills and everything in between right yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely so a lot of debugging skills required as well <laughs> definitely <laughs> especially at the edge you're at so in terms of uh, just people out there that are listening, you're obviously working heavily in R&D. Mm. The R&D incentive program, has that helped your mm. business over the journey, one would imagine? Well, funnily, funnily enough, not, not as yet. Okay. I mean, no, we, we are, you know, and we'll be putting in some big claims. Yes. So it, it will be, it will certainly be helpful. So, you know, it's just that in the, in the earlier uh, years we could have, but, you know, based on certain situations we found maybe it's not quite worth it for that year, but for the last year, as in the last financial year just gone, oh, there'll be a big, certainly a big uh, claim going in, and that will be extremely helpful, hmm. you know, because we're, we're talking at least a couple of hundred thousand dollars. And it makes it, a this big year, difference. It will like grow. A, yeah, yeah, it's like the government investing with you. And if anyone doesn't know much about the R&D incentive, you're looking to build tech. If you're building something innovative in, obviously, hardware, that's quite a, quite an interesting space. You're doing some new um, tech in the space, so you will be able to claim some of these things. So if you are looking in this space, uh, there is a way where you can actually recoup some of the money you're investing into products. There's a podcast that we did with, our, an R&D consultant we've been working for years, ex-KPMG, um, ex-PwC mm-hmm. as well. And now he's uh, working on, uh, they started their own little venture for some partners there. Episode, I can't recall, but it's R&D. Episode 19. Episode 19. And you'll get all the yep. ins and outs on the R&D tax incentive, how it works, how you should approach mm-hmm. the logging and the recording and yes. what qualifies and what doesn't. Yeah, so anyone listening um, wants to venture into that, go and have a listen to that episode. So, Bob, in terms of... They mentioned a lot about team, environment, culture. You haven't, like the technology is clearly important because you are at cutting edge mm. and you're solving massive problems. But without the right mm. people clearly around you, that's none of this is really achievable. You've touched upon advisors. Now, mm. what does an advisor mean to you? What sort of people do you have around your advisory board? Funnily enough, all four of them are involved in startups. So certainly entrepreneurial mm. experience is fundamental. Yes. But they also come from corporate as well. So one of them is an ex-BP executive, has vast uh, experience in the the corporate world, but uh, he's running his own startup uh, in recruitment software, which again is innovative. We use that service ourselves. Okay. And uh, another one, he was the co-founder with Peter Kazakos in CAS uh, computing that sold to Telstra for several hundred million dollars. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. And then we have another who built up a company called Network Neighbourhood that sold to JB for Hi-Fi for a lot of money running network uh, services for schools. And uh, he he trains boards around the world in culture and uh, and management. So, and another one is an expert in cybersecurity. Um, so, which is great. So, but I've got a couple more coming on board. Okay. We lack 
advisory in the facilities management built environment space. I hope to fill that position very quickly. Mm -hmm. And we have another one that will be coming on board who, in fact, is a coach of coaches, you might say, again, to help us with culture and okay. people. Yes, you're investing quite a bit there, which is, yeah, very interesting for anyone listening. So culture and people is clearly something you're very vested in. And yeah, I see quite a few people helping in that area too. Yeah, without that, mm. you cactus. I mean, you know, some people say we're, we're here to make a profit. And, and that's nice. But at the end of the day, if, you know, you've got revolving doors and people don't care, mm. well, you know, not a great sustainable strategy, to be honest. You know, it's an empty vision. And, and a lot of companies have visions and missions. Yes. But most of them are fairly pretty empty. You know, there are some that are genuine, but I think the majority, well, you know, it's, it's kind of more of a marketing spiel. But for us, you know, we live it, we breathe it. What we say, we do. And we're passionate about, about the outcome. And you can't be passionate about the outcome if you haven't got the right people and the right culture. And you can't be confident you're going to deliver the outcome with the, without the right people and culture either. As if, if from your perspective, you can hear the passion ringing through, but you've got the confidence that your team is behind you and you've got a team and a culture that will push through and solve the problems. And hit, when you hit a roadblock, they will, they will find the answer and they'll work creatively together to actually deliver those outcomes. You will keep innovating and you can talk to that and you can hear that coming through you as just as we're talking today. Indeed, 100%. Now, just on the advisors, because people out there that are on their own trying to do things with one or two people, mm. what guided you to build an advisory team one? And then how have you engaged with your advisory team? How does that work? Just so give people some ideas of how they might bring on different people okay. into the advisory. Yeah. Well, look, some people might think, oh, it's prohibitive because we can't afford it, for example, mm. or we, you know, like there's all sorts of things. The first mindset has to be that, you know, you need advice from other people that, yes. you know, can lend expertise. That's the first thing. So mm -hmm. uh, I guess it's a bit like an alcoholic who doesn't admit they're an alcoholic. They can't get help. Well, I don't know everything, right, as I have to learn the hard way and I need help. So that's the first thing. The second thing is just approach your network. And that's what I did. And our advisory team have been really great. They know that we're in, you know, in these, you know, early-ish stages. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, from a financial perspective, there's no drain uh, at all. That will come in time. So when, you know, as the right time comes along, then rewards flow for everybody as they should uh -huh. uh, and as they must. Mm -hmm. But they know that they're giving us a lending hand. So that's why working through your own network of people and most people are pretty good and they'll do that they'll you know it's not like i take a ton of their time mm -hmm. but when you need them and you ask for some advice and help people generally are pretty good so you, you get to your network and ask people to join that could be you know of real assistance and advice and yeah uh, it's pretty good so it hasn't been a burden at all uh, from a cost perspective the right time will come uh, you know that'll come out of the excess the businesses we build profitability mm -hmm. and so forth but in the early days they all understand you know the, the commercial realities of running uh, startups and uh, so forth so uh, from that point of view it's been done slowly you know started with one then the next one then the next one it didn't they all didn't come along at once and, and that's how you, you know that's how we've done it anyway yeah no it's good to hear the, the how you've approached it have you formalized the agreements with advisory boards or how have you approached that side of things 
So right now, yes, it's it's not yet. It, it will be. That's the, the plan, certainly, going forward is. So right now, they're an advisory team, team. right? And that's how we put it up on our website, mm-hmm. as the advisory team. Yes. We The advisory board will be established. Mm-hmm. So the, what, one of two things have to happen for that. Either one, we do receive a substantial, you know, receive our substantial capital raise uh-huh. that we're doing. That's one. Or the other alternative is when we reach a certain level of revenue. Uh, in other words, we've got a number of substantial projects on the books, which I estimate will certainly be somewhere in the early part of, of the new year, somewhere around that period, okay. you know, certainly by the second quarter. And then it will be formalised. It must be because, you know, we're a growing business and yes. uh, and it has to be. So we will formalise the advisory board. Yeah, and I think that's good about saying on starting because something it can just be a, a coffee <laughs> once a month yeah. or a, a quick phone call here and there. It's a little bit too formal. So uh, we can sometimes yeah. jump in to formalise things a bit too early and it might not even be the right people. So just starting things off yeah. uh, just in a, a, a social network component, that's some good advice for people that are looking just to lean on people within yeah. their network and uh, that can actually help because there's so much people out there that are willing to help mm. if you ask mm. questions and just, and it's, it's more from a um, leaning on their experience and their stories can be in a form of advice too. Mm. It doesn't have to be just solving specific problems. In some cases, I've found it's been learning and just getting to know them and you'll learn mm. from the way they approach things and the way they think to help you <laughs> along your journey. So there's different ways to definitely do that softer approach yeah. to advice too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's how it was with us, coffees. Yes. Phone calls, you know, again, very, we haven't sat down actually uh-huh. for a formal board type meeting, whether it's all been coffee, phone calls, meeting, catching up, mm-hmm. and that's how it's been done. But, you know, we will get to the formal stuff, but, yep. you know, I, certainly starting that way, there's just no need. Yeah, brilliant, Bob. Question, what drives you? Why do you do what you do, Bob? Whew. Ah, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question. Let's just say that I've got, I've got a passion for, I guess, doing the crazy things to make a difference to the world. Again, on my LinkedIn profile, I put up the quote from Steve Jobs, you know, about uh, being those square pegs in round holes, but we're the crazy ones that actually do something, Mm -hmm. you know, to make a material difference. And so I'm very passionate about doing that. I I recall my time at at Coles. Uh When I was at Coles, it was Coles Meyer when I was there. Mm -hmm. And I started the Melbourne operation of uh, Harris Technology, which Coles had bought in April of 99. And I started November 99. And and I had to establish the team that supplied all the internal IT requirements for Coles and all the brands, Kmart, Target, Officeworks, supermarkets, Liquorland, all of them. And so in the beginning, it was very hard because our logistics weren't really set up. So, and I knew zero about logistics. But because we weren't meeting the SLAs, I had to rejig all the logistics and learn from scratch and rejig everything. And then once we did that, we just exceeded our SLAs. So yeah, I used to so look forward to my monthly SLA meetings, the head of workgroup services, and you know, I'd come in with a big smile on my face. We'd talk about the SLA for five minutes yes. because we kept exceeding. We were better than world's best practice. Then we'd talk about this guy's dad's exploits on the Kokoda Trail or something like that. And, you know, I, I just used, I used to love exceeding SLAs and, uh, and exceeding expectations. And so I guess now it's more not only just exceeding the expectation, it's about delivering material outcomes, you know, reducing pain, making places better for people and safer. 
uh, and reducing the carbon footprint and just innovating everywhere. So that's certainly one part. And as I said, I think the other part is I think, you know, I get a whole lot of strength from the big boss in the sky. You know, I, I get this super strength, I guess, that, that's got to, you know, got to come from the, from the boss. And I get this extraordinary strength that, you know, uh, to me, humanly would not normally be possible. So I'm, I am driven uh, and, you know, very driven that way. And even when I'm at home, uh, even just watching a movie or, you know, whatever, I, I sometimes have to stop myself from going to my iPhone and, you know, uh, seeing what's happening on LinkedIn and my connections or something. I slap myself. It's an addiction, <laughs> isn't it? So it's absolutely yeah. very driven for excellence and, and making a difference. And cutting edge is important to you from what I hear. Yeah. It's like, what can we do differently and, and just be the best that we can be? That seems to drive through you. So thanks for sharing. I like to ask that question, especially uh, where you've been and your journey. This obviously uh, you're driving for, for new for innovation and for progress, which is quite exciting, uh, I would imagine, to be on that train and within the blue IoT environment and culture. Thank you. Well, look, the other thing is too, is to be an example mm -hmm. uh, as well, because I've worked for so many companies in my time and, and you see, you know, the, I guess it's easy to see the flaws in, in companies. There are many good points too. But, you know, I guess you become idealistic as you, you know, get a lot of gray hairs or you lose some of the hairs as I have. And, you know, uh, it's like, gee, there's got to be a better way to do this. So innovation not only comes in product, not only comes in client engagement, but I guess it also comes in setting an example. So we're trying to not preach to others because that's, I don't believe, a good way of doing things, mm. but rather uh, living it out and setting the example. So when clients want something or there's a problem, you, you don't hide behind something and say, oh, it's not our fault. No, no, it's somebody else's fault. You take responsibility, you deal with it and you fix it and you move forward you gain the trust of your clients and 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 staff and you build something you build something beyond the normal not just some normal organization but you build excellence everywhere you are and you become uh, i guess a bit of a shining light and you know this is a great way to do things oh this this is brilliant you know and everyone wants to become part of it in some form because it's again it's it's an outcome everywhere you know and and our policy is that there are no losers, none, nowhere in the supply chain. Everyone has to be winners. I don't like some people think there's got to be losers. No, nah, not at all. Everyone, everyone should be winners here. And, and becoming a bit of a an example of something good is is something that, you know, that also I hold dear, you know. So fortunately I've had the support of my family, mm -hmm. got a lovely family and you know, they've been they've been fantastic too. So uh, yeah. Oh, thanks for sharing, Bob. Just uh, digging a bit into your philosophy and the way you think. Clearly, um, striving for excellence is important for you, and progress is important for you, and just being a, a great example uh, within the business and within the culture and within the uh, ecosystem. Uh, so yeah, thanks for sharing that. My last question for you, Bob, which I, I generally ask everybody, is if you I would say now obviously you've had your challenges along the journey. Um, and we don't want to go too far back there. But if you were to go back to Bob of 2016 and say, Bob, this is what you can do to move forward. What are, what are some of the things you would tell Bob of 2016 to yeah, focus on to get you moving forward? Actually, I'd, I'd probably say two parts to that. First, I would say, would have I started that first business in 2012? Mm -hmm. Knowing what happened at the time, I would have probably said no, nah, <laughs> because I don't know if I could have wished that on my worst enemy mm. because I made so many bad decisions. So I would have said, oh, I'll just keep working in IT, getting a good income, 
buying up some more properties, you know, just having a bit of an easy life. Not rich, but just, a, you know, a, a nice, uh, easy, cruisy sort of life. You know, very comfortable, I might say. Uh-huh. But what's what happened as a result? Well, out of the old comfort zone into the fire. And when you're in the fire, there's two ways to react. One, you can just go in your shell and, you know, either do something bad or, or just settle on something second best, get some basic job and just live out the rest of your life in, you know, perhaps not the best fashion or end it all. Both of those options, I don't think are that great. One's worse than the other, obviously. But so you react and you fight back. And uh, so my advice here is don't give up. You've got to be tenacious. That's certainly one thing I am. And you just, you fight back and you look for opportunities. And as the opportunities come, then you grab them, as long as they're ethical. Grab them. You know, well, some people think, you know, ethics doesn't kind of count, but uh, it obviously should and must. And so oh, it impacts um, grab culture. those. Yes. It does, indeed. Absolutely. Mm. Because, you, again, you know, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on out there. And, and you know, you, at least I, I can say we, we live what we say. So as long as it's ethical, grab the opportunities. And there are opportunities. And when our time came, did. And we've bitten onto it and we've taken the opportunities. Could we have done things better? Yes. Have I still made some mistakes this time? Absolutely, I have. You know, no one can get to perfection here on this planet, you know, but we do try to improve. So uh, I've certainly made a whole lot less mistakes than I have before. I can say that much. Mm. But, you know, I'm still learning from some of the mistakes I make now. You know, nothing, nothing is ever perfect, and I think you mentioned that perfection mm. is is an illusion. Mm. But mm. evolving and improving is quite possible if you're willing to be yeah. tenacious, get up and go again. Because yeah. we all are going to make a mistake. That's the reality. Yeah, I think it's that... it's not how you it's not how you uh, fall, mm. as they say, but it's how you rise. Bob, been a great uh, chat today. I really enjoyed getting to learn a bit more about yourself your experience and thank you for being so open and sharing some of the challenges that you've had along the journey because i think it's important for us to if you are going to jump into business it's not smooth sailing and it never is there are challenges along the way and it's a personal growth thing too and you've seen that probably yourself really in mm. business is a lot of personal growth as as a person of evolution in the way you think feel work with people and evolve the way you, you do things so really appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and there's and the, the path that you're on is quite exciting so thank you bob if anyone wants to find out about blue iot and yourself how might they get in contact with you uh, look uh, they can go to our website which is uh, blueiot.com.au in about a month's time uh, uh, we'll have rebranded we'll have a much nicer website but uh, that's the website or they can write to me at bob at blueiot.com.au or even give me a call on 0407 245 in Australia. Plus six one if you're calling from overseas without the zero in, in front of the four. Brilliant, Bob. Uh, pre- we'll yeah, we'll put everything in the show. And thank you very much for having uh, me too. I very much appreciate uh, being invited onto this program. And as a parting word, one of my you know huge learnings is make sure there's a lot of humble pie on the table. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant, Bob. No, thank you very much. And yeah, looking forward to sharing this episode out. So uh, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me.